Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Y'all ready for the word? First Timothy chapter 6, we're looking at verse 12. We're picking up with part two of our fight series. And First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 is one of our text scriptures. And it says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. In this life, in this life as a believer, you will have to fight. Just because you got saved didn't mean every problem will disappear. That you just skip through the flowers with Jesus, never running into anything. In this life, you will run into a fight. But the Bible says fight the good fight of faith. It's only a good fight if you win. We don't want to come into second place. We don't want third place. We don't want to be like that 700 basketball league that's more excited about the snacks after the game than playing the game. We believe in winning in life. So there's a way to fight the good fight of faith and win. So that's what we're doing in the series, teaching you how to fight the good fight of faith. So go to Mark chapter 4. I encourage you to get part one if you weren't here two weeks ago. And we looked at one of the things that Sun Tzu said that you, in order to be successful in war, you must know your enemy. And so we looked at who the enemy is. We looked at who Satan is. And we saw what the word actually said about him to us who are believers. That he's not some great dragon who can take us out. He's not just some lion who can devour us. Because we looked at what Peter said, and it says he goes about as a roaring lion. Didn't say he is one, he wants to try to be one. Looking for whom he may devour. If there's whom he can devour, there's whom he can't devour. And so we'll go to Mark chapter 4 and look at how you can live a life where Satan can't devour you. There is a way to live in victory over the devil that God has intended him to be under your feet. And if he gets higher than your heel, you need to put him back down. You're not supposed to be living letting the devil chase after you. Oh, I beat the devil running. I'm so glad. No, you're not supposed to be running from the devil. You're supposed to be resisting the devil and watching him flee, run in stark terror from you. You are the believer. Before Jesus came, Satan could have been considered the strong man. But after Jesus came, he died, he was risen from the dead and moved on the inside of you. You are the strong man in the earth. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You are stronger than the devil. By association alone, you are greater than any problem you'll ever face in your life. So Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Last week, two weeks ago, we also looked at who you are in Christ. How you're more than a conqueror. So picking up with Mark chapter 4, verse 1. And he, Jesus, began again to teach by the seaside. And there were gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables. 
and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. Underline the word scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it or crowded it out, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30 and some 60 and some 100. And he said unto them, he that have ears to hear, let him hear. Thank God we have ears to hear. And when he was alone, they that were with him with the 12 asked him the parable. So remember that the 12 always went with Jesus, but there's also many other people that were part of his ministry team. You had Joanna, you had Susanna, you had Mary Magdalene, you had many other believers that went with him. And he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Why was it given to them to know? They had dedicated their lives to Jesus. They were givers. They were a part of his mission. They were part of his ministry. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. That seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. As you look at him quoting this in the other Gospels and where he quoted it from, it lets you know that these people willfully close their ears. These people willfully close their eyes. And he says, if they would open their ears and open their eyes, they would be healed and be forgiven. And he said unto them, know ye not this parable? How then will you know all parables? Mark chapter 4 is the most important parable Jesus ever taught. Because in Mark chapter 4 is the key to unlock every other parable. The sower sows the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word which was sown in their hearts. We looked at this last week, but wayside area. What is the wayside? It's the side of a highway. So how many of you know that the side of 285 and the side of 75 and the side of 85 is not a great place to plant a farm? And so Jesus is saying there are some people's hearts are just like the side of the road. There's no production. The word is sown. The word is preached. It hits those hearts. But what happens is they, it hits the person's heart but they choose not to believe it, or they don't want it. You know, just because someone hears the word doesn't mean they want to hear it. They reject it, and what happens? Satan comes immediately to take the word. We looked at those crows that picked it up. So imagine Satan in a crow costume with a grocery cart coming to pick up the word. Oh, you don't want that? I'll take that. You don't want your healing? I'll take that. You don't want deliverance? I'll take that. You don't want prosperity? I'll take that. You don't want your family back together? I'll take that. Because the word is powerful. So we look at what it says next. So notice the first defeat or the first issue is a self-inflicted defeat. They self-inflicted their loss by not receiving the word. Not receiving the engrafted word with meekness. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. The second self-inflicted problem is stony ground. What happens? When they receive the word, they didn't let it go down deep. They didn't apply it. 
They didn't start meditating on it and thinking on it and saying it and doing it. And as a result, it's stony ground. They get some production because it says they receive it with gladness. They hear the word, they receive it with gladness. That word in the Greek is they receive it with a shout. They begin to praise God. They begin to shout. But when they leave the house of God, they leave from where the word was taught, they do nothing about it. And they praise God, and so there's production. So when you hear the word, you should praise the God. It causes production to happen in your life. But it says they have no root in themselves, and so endure. Underline the word endure. But for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake. Why did affliction and persecution come? For the word's sake. So I was like, well, I started getting before God on a greater way, reading more of my Bible, coming to church more, and all of a sudden this happened. All of a sudden that happened. Why? Satan's trying to come and stop the word. Immediately they are offended. If you do not let the word of God take root in your life, you will not endure long in this life. If you do not let the word of God take root in your life, you will not endure long in this life. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, or being deceived by riches, and the lust of other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Now, one of the things you learn from Mark chapter 4 is Satan only has five tactics. He only has five strategies. There's only five wiles of the devil. There's affliction, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things. So say it with me. Say affliction, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things. All these five tactics are clothed in deceit. But thank God the word of God gives you a strategy to beat every tactic. Because if you can beat every tactic, Satan can defeat you. So the two we're going to focus on today is affliction and persecution. Because it talks about when affliction and persecution rises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. That word offended means trapped, stumbled, enticed to sin. Remember in the parable, Jesus said that the sun scorches them and they wither away. So these people who don't let the word go down deep, when affliction and persecution comes, it scorches whatever production of the word they have and causes it to wither away so that when they don't stand in faith, when the affliction and persecution is done, it looks like they never believed God in the first place. That's Satan's goal, to stop not only your production, but make it look like you never believed God or had faith for anything in your life. So affliction in the Greek is defined as a pressing together. A pressing together. Or it's pressure. Affliction can be defined as pressure brought by circumstances. Pressure brought by circumstances. Now, a side note. Not all circumstances that bring pressure are from the enemy. Some are self-inflicted. You did something stupid, now you have the consequences. You got some pressure in your life. It wasn't Satan, it was you. Praise the Lord. But thank God for mercy. Thank God for the wisdom of God. 
Because even if we blew it, he can restore us and get us back on track. Then the next one is persecution, which we can define as pressure brought by people. Persecution. Pressure brought by people. A lot of times people think of the word persecution, they think about the martyrs. Yes, that's a form of persecution, but it's any type of pressure brought by people. Another side note, not all pressure from people is from Satan. Some people may bring pressure your way because you were a jerk. Don't look at me like that. You so ratchet, you get ratchet. You so hot mess, you get hot mess. So don't think, oh, the devil's really fighting me. No, you were just mean. Well. So how do you deal with the pressures of life? How do you respond to pressure-filled circumstances? How should we handle pressure so that what God has intended in our life won't be scorched or withered away? So let's go to Luke chapter 6. Let's uncover the strategy to be these two tactics of the enemy. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We'll start with verse 17. Luke chapter 6 verse 17. And he came down with them and stood in the plain in the company of the disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the sea of the coast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of the diseases. Why were they there? To hear Jesus, so to hear what he said, and to be healed. Let's get down to verse 46. And why call ye me Lord, Lord? And not do the things which I say. That's a good question. A lot of people are like, oh, yep, Jesus is Lord, but you do nothing he said. Oh, well, the Bible doesn't apply today. Yes, it does. If you don't follow what the Word says, Jesus is not your Lord. You're just trying to use him for fire insurance. Mm. All right, y'all. All right. Verse 47. Whosoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and digged deep. Underline that phrase, dig deep. And laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that hears, so remember, we're not talking about people who've never heard the word. We're talking about people who will hear the word. But he that hears and does not, So they came to hear the word of God, they heard, but they don't do it. It's like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, against which a stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. We're not talking about sinners. We're talking about church people. People who hear the word. Notice the storm came to both houses. But only the person who came to hear the word and who did the word built a house that stood the test of the storm, that stood against the affliction that came, that stood against the pressure. But the person who heard the word built a house not based on the word, their life crashed 
and great was the crash thereof. So in order to not have stony ground heart, in order to dig deep, you must come to hear the word. It's very simple. You got to hear the word, which means we should come to church more than just Easter and Resurrection Day and Mother's Day. Well, not really Christmas because y'all go on vacation. Y'all really don't come on Christmas. That means we should hear the word more than once a month, twice a month, <gasps> three times a month. You have to come to hear the word and hear it often. And not just on Wednesdays and Sundays, you should be listening to the word and reading the word for yourself throughout the week. You must make time to hear the word of God. You must make yourself available to hear the word. Then you must hear the word, then you must do it. If you make yourself available to hear the word, you hear the word and you do it, it digs down deep and gets the stony ground out so that the word can be planted deep and produce in your life. So number one way to handle affliction and persecution, make yourself available to hear the word, hear the word, and do the word. Notice this is a continual process, not just a one-time event. You know, a lot of us just want to come to church one time, who preacher, wave your magic Bible and make all my problems disappear and I'm gonna live like a hot mess for five more years and go do it again later. That's not how it works. It's like that commercial, that's not how any of this works. You have to apply the word. You have to live the word. Go back to Mark 4. By the time we're done with this series, your Bible may just fall open to Mark 4. Mark 4, 17. And have no root in themselves, and so endure, but for a time, or for a season, as it's translated, or for a little while. These are seasonal faith people. They're faith people when everything's going good. But when the challenge comes, they, le they leave faith. So they start saying, well, I tried faith and it didn't work. No, faith tried you and you didn't work. <laughs> faith told you in the word, trouble and pressure will come. It tells you how to respond. But when pressure comes, you lose all faith and go running. You want to win in life, right? We can't be seasonal faith people. Remember, it says the just shall live by faith. It's not the emergency get out of jail free card. It's a lifestyle. Faith is a lifestyle. It's what you do every single day, day in, day out. Go to Galatians chapter five. A strong spirit will sustain you in the midst of adversity. If you faint in adversity or if you faint in the fight, you faint because your strength is small. That's what Proverbs teaches us. And you grow your strength by receiving and feeding on the word of God. So you're going through, get in the word more. Don't get in the word less, get in the word more. Galatians chapter 5. I remember the first lady said one time, she says, you know, if people miss an episode of their favorite show, they will binge watch to catch up. 
Some of you know what I mean by binge watch. You turn on Netflix and it keeps going and then it asks you that question hours later, are you still watching? You go, yes, keep it going. <laughs> and so she's saying, if we treat our favorite TV show like that, how much more should we treat the word? You know, we miss a day of reading the word and think nothing of it. Some of us have gone weeks, some have gone months. What if we value the word enough to binge read the word? Listen to the word on another level. Receive on another level, because you're acting like the word's going to hurt you. So what if I read the word too much? It's not possible. It's not possible. As long as you do it, you can't read the word too much. If you read and do, you'll be blessed. The willing and the obedient eat the good of the land. There has to be some doing on your part. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is what the Holy Spirit is producing in your born-again, recreated spirit, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Long-suffering is defined as patience, but it also means to suffer long, to gird up under pressure. To gird up under pressure, persecution, distress, and trouble. To gird up under pressure, persecution, distress, and trouble, it means to remain steadfast. To remain steadfast. It means endurance. Endurance is the capacity to remain firm under suffering without yielding to anger, resentment, despair, or self-pity. So you have to understand the Holy Spirit is at work right now producing your recreated spirit, the fruit of long-suffering. But like every fruit, it must be cultivated. It requires time, effort, dedication, and attention. So the number two key, if you want to beat affliction and persecution, you must develop endurance. You must develop endurance. It's a very simple principle. In the natural, you have to develop endurance. One of the things I was telling, I was teaching uh, FBI yesterday, and I was telling the story about how when I, was, I grew up down here, went to school, they trained tra track champions. And so part of our normal requirement when you would go to PE class or gym class, whatever you want to call it, is that you met well, how many ever times a week? And when middle school, you had to run one mile a week. It had to be at a certain time or not, you won't get a good grade. But when you got to high school, you had to do it twice a week. And you had to make sure you got that time. But then there was a six-week period of time where you had to run 60 miles in six weeks. Back then, I was like, who has time for that? And so that's what it is. So I moved back to Michigan. I'm thinking, I will never join the track team. There is no way in the world that I'm going to run, and it's my choice. So I moved back to Michigan. My parents are in ministry school. And we hadn't moved into our place yet, so it was a lot of back and forth. And started eating a lot of fast food, started gaining some weight. I looked at myself in the mirror and said, I'm a senior in high school. I shouldn't be looking like this. I got to do something to lose some weight. So I was like, well... Let's look at the different teams, and none of them were really that good. So it's, uh, it'll be easy to join the basketball team, easy to do this, automatic varsity. And so I was at the table, one of my friends said, Carrick, join the track team. Be a thrower. They don't got to run. I'm like, that could work. I didn't say I was good at discus or shot put, but hey, 
it could work. So then I joined the team, and the coach admits after we're on the team, and says, the coach is overthrowing. He says, they just put me over it. I don't know what I'm doing. So I need y'all to go run with the runners. <laughs> Every day, we ran three to five miles. I'm telling you, that weight disappeared like that. It got to a point, my grandma was concerned. She's like, are you eating? And my mom replied, he's eating everything. But when I moved out of the house, my mom found something new called leftovers. Because I ate everything in the house. And so I did that for years, so my endurance was high when it came to running. But after a certain point in time, and got out of college, wasn't running that much, and I realized I needed to start back just to have a healthy lifestyle. And so I could run one mile without stopping at a good time. But after that, I'm done. But I was determined, my goal then was I'm going to run a 5K. So the next day, I ran 1.01. Hey, that's better than the day before. Started inching up more and more, more and more. One day, got to two miles. Woo, two miles without stopping. Look at Jesus. Kept going. One day, felt really good. I ran a 5K by myself. Huh. Kept going. I run with my dog and got to four miles one day. Then one day, got up to five miles. But at the end, I looked at my dog. We both looked at each other like, who's going to collapse first? We're done. But what happened, I was building my endurance by applying myself to keep running. You will develop your endurance if you keep applying the word of God. So remember 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 says, Thou therefore endure hardness or endure affliction as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. A good soldier doesn't cry and whine just because something bad comes their way. A good soldier takes their place and fights. Remember, we're in the army of the Lord, and we're supposed to fight the good fight of faith. Go to Romans chapter 5. That clock is going too fast, John. Romans chapter 5. Verse 2. Romans chapter 5, verse 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory, or we praise God, we rejoice in tribulation. That word tribulation, the same word for afflictions, pressure. We rejoice or we glory in pressure. Also, knowing that tribulation or pressure works or produces patience. Now, does going through automatically give you patience? No. Responding to pressure with the right attitude will develop patience. Because if you respond with the right attitude when pressure is applied, you will mature in the things of God. But if you respond with the wrong attitude, you'll become more immature. So when pressure comes, you must reply with the right attitude. Because if you do, and patience will produce experience and experience hope, which is cheerful anticipation or expectation. And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, who is given unto us. Because if you apply the right attitude to pressure, it will develop patience, it will develop endurance, and then endurance will develop experience. So you'll get some experience under your belt, say, yep, the enemy tried this, but God brought me through, so it doesn't matter what he does, God will bring me through again. And that experience produces what I just described as expectation, cheerful anticipation 
of knowing that God will not only break you out, he'll bring you out, he'll do everything he promised. So we must reply with the right attitude. So let's look at the right attitude. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter four. Verse eight. Notice what the apostle Paul says. Go ahead and read for the sake of time. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Sounds like someone has the right attitude. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Then he goes on describing all the things that are going on against them and how their lives are often threatened for the work of Jesus. But notice what he says in verse 13. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. What does the spirit of faith do? It believes and speaks. If you believe, you need to say something. Isn't that how you were born again? You believe that Jesus died for you, that God raised him from the dead, and then you said out of your mouth that he is Lord. Believe and speak. Look what it says in verse 16. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. How is the inward man renewed day by day? The word of God. For our light affliction. Wait a minute. Light? You said you're troubled on every side. You're perplexed, persecuted, and cast down. And he said, it's light. Which is but for a moment. It's temporary. Wait a minute. Jesus talked about people who had temporary faith who lost out on the production of the word. So Paul's not a temporary Christian. He's not a temporary faith person. He says, my trial is temporary. And it's light in comparison to what? The exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So it doesn't matter what you're facing in your life today. The glory of God, his presence, his power is far more greater, more magnificent than your problem. And when it manifests in your situation, it makes your trouble look light. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. He says, I'm looking at the glory, not my problem, not my trouble. For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things we have not seen are eternal. My problem is light and it's soon going to pass away. This is the right attitude. This is Paul mixing his faith with patience. Go to Acts chapter 20. Let's look at his attitude some more. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. Notice what he's telling this church here. Acts 20, verse 22. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witness in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions or pressures abide me. So he's heading to an area, and he knows he's going into pressure. Instead of running away, he's heading right to it. But notice what he said in verse 24. But none of these things move me. None of them. 
neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. None of these things move me because I'm going to do what God called me to do. I'm going to get to the end and I'm going to have some joy about it. We look later on in the book of Acts. He's standing before King Agrippa. He's been under house arrest. Paul, give an answer for yourself, the king says. And he says, I am a happy man. I think myself happy. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You've been under house arrest. People try to kill you. There was a group of men that took up it all saying we will not eat or drink until we kill Paul. You may have some haters, but none of your haters ever took an oath saying we won't eat any Chick-fil-A till we kill you. <laughs> Paul had issues. Paul had problems. Paul had pressure. I'm a happy man. None of these things move me. It's not going to push me around. It's not going to add pressure to my life. I'm going to finish my course with joy. The attitude of faith is a joyful one. It's joyful expectation. It's cheerful anticipation. If you've lost your joy, your faith goes next. You must be joyful. As we talked about a couple of Wednesdays ago, you must work that law of joy. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. To develop endurance during pressure, you must respond with the right attitude. The right attitude is the joyful attitude of faith that says we win and gives God praise in advance. The right attitude is the joyful attitude of faith that says we win and gives God praise in advance. The right attitude is the joyful attitude of faith that says we win and gives God praise in advance. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he gives it to you. It's grace. It's a gift. Then say you work for it. God will give you the victory. Therefore, why? Because God gives you the victory. My beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, you must be unmovable. No matter what comes in your life, don't let Satan push you around. Title, let me use you for example real quick. Don't let me move you. You can't let Satan push you around in life. What am I doing? I'm applying pressure. What is he doing? He's resisting. And the Bible says, if you resist the devil, he will flee. So although he may be applying pressure for a moment, there'll be a time where he turns tail and runs. Thanks, Ty. You must apply pressure. Back to the pressure of the enemy. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 35. I love Romans chapter 8. It's an amazing chapter. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, that's the word pressure again, or distress, or persecution, or famine, 
or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Everybody thinks they're going down. And kill them like sheep. Nay, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You want an example of being more than a conqueror? It's like when the Warriors were playing earlier this week and they beat that team. Not by two points, not by four points. It wasn't even close. Steph Curry was setting records when the other team was just trying to catch up. God wants to do that in your life. That you are more than a conqueror. That not only have you resisted the devil and he fleed, you are setting records for your entire family. You are not a statistic. You will be the example. I prophesy that to you. You will be the example to your family of what it means to be well-educated, what it means to be debt-free, what it means to be saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost, what it means to have your life together. You will be the example because you apply the Word. You are not a statistic. You are more than a conqueror through Him that loves you. So next key, remember how much Jesus loves you. Remember how much Jesus loves you. You must meditate on the love of God daily. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Think about that every day. Let it come out your mouth. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. As you're doing that, your love is growing. Because love casts out all fear. Remember, we've taught before, that love fuels or makes efficient faith. And remember, faith is how you receive grace. Faith is how you receive victory. So no love, no faith. No faith, no grace. No grace, Satan kicks your butt. You have to go back and believing that he loves you. And let that love fuel your faith. Because by faith, you'll receive that grace and you'll walk in victory. Go to James chapter 1. Is this helping anybody in here today? James chapter 1. Your belief in the love of God will build your endurance. James chapter 1. If you're new here, you can tell we believe in the Bible. All of it. James chapter 1, verse 1, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Why are they scattered? Because of persecution. So these are people who are enduring pressure, so much pressure, they had to leave their homes. They're living on a run in foreign places where they may not know the language and they don't know anybody, so their lives are under pressure. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into direst temptations. The word count means consider it joy. The only way you can consider pressure joy is because you know how God's going to bring you out. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. It produces patience. What happens? But let patience have her perfect work. Let patience mature. Let patience grow. What would happen when patience grows in your life? That you may be perfect or complete and entire wanting nothing. You may be under pressure right now, 
But if you let pressure be applied to your faith and you add faith and patience together, you'll get to a point where you want nothing. You'll be complete and entire. If any of you lack wisdom, let them ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraid. If not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavers like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. So if you're facing affliction and persecution, the next thing you need to do is ask the Lord for wisdom. Ask the Lord for wisdom. And after that... Change your perspective and count it joy. Don't go, oh, my pressure. Go, oh, my joy. Oh, my breakthrough. Oh, my, the faithfulness of God. Look at James 5.13. It's a few pages over. Is any among you afflicted? Is anybody under pressure? Let him pray. It's good to have people pray with you, but you need to have a prayer life. You're under pressure, you need to open your mouth and pray. Not woe is me prayers, not oh God, I need you to help me now prayers. It's prayers like Acts chapter 16 verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. What type of prayer is praise that led to singing praises unto God? And the prisoners heard them, and suddenly there was an earthquake that set them free. You must pray the prayer of faith, follow it with thanksgiving, giving glory to God in the midst of pressure, knowing that God's super will be added to your natural and bring you out and break you out. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. So we said make yourself available to the word, hear the word, and do the word. We said develop endurance. We said remember how much God loves you. Change your perspective and count it joy. We said pray. Now look at Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Don't rely on your own willpower. Rely on Holy Ghost power. Put on the whole armor of God. That's what we're teaching you to do in this series, that you may be able to be able to stand or withstand against the wiles or the strategies or the affliction, the persecution, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things, of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Remember who your enemy is. There may be a person trying to persecute you, but they are not your enemy. Satan is your enemy. And if that is the case, and Satan is your enemy, that means you don't fight against those people. What do you do? Your next key, make a quality decision not to violate the law of love. You need every day to make a quality decision not to violate the law of love, no matter how trifling that person is. You make a decision to forgive everybody of everything. No matter what, you let it go. You can't hold on to offense. Offense is an event. Being offended is a choice. Offense is an event. Being offended is a choice. Offense comes to everybody. But you must make a choice whether to be offended or not or to walk in forgiveness and walk in love. That doesn't mean you have to expose yourself to all these issues of people. If there's a person you particularly don't get along with, and you have that in your power to do, don't hang out with them. Amen. 
Now, I'm not telling you, I just told you to leave your spouse. I did not say that. <laughs> did not say that. He said, well, my kids are causing me pressure, but they're under 18 and live in your house. I didn't tell you to kick them out. So don't say, well, pastor said you got to get out today. No, I didn't. I got this on record to play back. But you may have some extended family members who anytime you see them, they try to add some pressure to your life. Love them from a distance. Don't have a long Thanksgiving down there. Oh, I got to go back. You know, there's church on Sunday. Pastor really needs me there. Blame it on me. Like I get, nope, I got to get back to Atlanta because pastor's got a word for me. Use wisdom. You growing in your love walk? Don't put yourself in a situation you're not ready for. You'll be cussing somebody, I go, oh, Lord, I messed up again. <laughs> Make a decision not to violate the law of love. And when you do, be quick to repent. Be quick to forgive. And go back to walking in love. Remember, love fuels your faith. That love is believing that God loves you, but it's also walking in love. You do those two things, your faith will be effective and your faith will receive grace, which is your victory. Verse 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand. This is the patient stance of faith. I did everything God said, so I'm gonna stand patiently in faith and watch God show up and show out for me. This is me standing still watching the salvation of the Lord. Go to Hebrews chapter 6, coming down the home stretch. Make yourself available to hear the word, hear the word, and do the word. Develop endurance. Re- remember how much God loves you. Change your perspective and counter joy. Pray. Do not violate the law of love. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. If you want to receive anything from God, you need faith and patience. Faith and patience always inherit the promise. Say faith and patience always inherits the promise. So you must make sure you have faith and you must make sure you walk in patience. For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself saying, surely blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. When we look at Romans chapter 4, we saw that Abraham believed in hope against hope and gave glory to God. So in that time while he was waiting for God to bring forth Isaac, he was patiently giving God the glory, calling the word. Remember, word believes and then speaks. That's the spirit of faith. How was he confessing? He called himself what God told him to rename himself, Abraham. What did that mean? Father of many nations. So every time he went around, who are you? I'm Abraham, I'm father of many nations. He was speaking. His faith was working. He was walking in patience. When he walked by faith, it does not make sense to the world. Remember, Abraham's 100. Sarah's about 90. And they changed their names. You know, everybody else around was like, these people are senile. (laughs) Crazy. He's finally lost it. 
Faith doesn't make sense. But that's okay. Faith will always bring the victory. And so once it manifests, people won't care it didn't make sense. They just want to know how you did what you did. What do people want today? Results. So don't be religious. Be spiritual. Do the word and get results. Look at chapter 10, verse 36. Be like Abraham. He kept the image and the dream before him. He kept the word of God in his mouth. Don't lose hold of your dream. Don't lose hold of hope. You must maintain hope. If you want to walk in faith and patience, you must keep what God said before your eyes. Some of you at the beginning of the year filled out lists. You read fill in the blanks. You must keep it before your eyes. You must go back and look at that list. You must go back and read the word again concerning what God promised you. Hebrews 10 verse 36. For ye have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. You will receive, stand patiently, stand strong, and you will watch God manifest on your behalf. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now, I don't do this often, but I need a good five more minutes. Y'all going to stay watching with me for five minutes? Y'all going to tell your stomach to be quiet for five more minutes? All right. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which has so easily beset us. Let us run with patience or run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising or thinking little of the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Number seven, look at Jesus and remember who he is to you. Jesus endured and ran his race with patience, looking for the joy that was before him. That's how he got through the suffering that was of the cross and of hell. The joy that was set before him, and that joy is you. So while he was on the cross, he thought about you, and that's how he went through it. There must be joy ahead of you. You must look at that joy. You must focus on that hope. You must focus on that dream because faith makes your hope come into this reality. Faith lays hold of the unrealities of hope and makes it manifest in this natural realm. Faith gives your hope substance. That's what scripture says. So let's go to Mark chapter four and we'll close here. Look at Jesus and remember who he is to you. Look at Jesus and remember who he is to you. Remember, make yourself available to hear the word. Hear the word. Do the word. Develop endurance. Remember how much God loves you. Change your perspective and count it joy. Pray. Make a quality decision not to violate the law of love. Look at Jesus and remember who he is to you. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. So this is in the same day Jesus taught on affliction, pressure, and persecution. Same day, not next day, not days later. This is the same day. Verse 35. And the same day, when the evening was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. So Jesus gives them the words, and we're going to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also other little ships with him. 
looks like Jesus had more than a one-boat ministry. What's this preacher doing with all those boats? And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Notice, there's no mention of rain. This is an invisible storm out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, the boat is full of water. When you study Mark chapter 4, you realize the enemy caused this storm. It came out of nowhere. Remember, these are professional fishermen. They know those waters. And if it was going to be that troublesome, there's an analogy that we can't go right now. But this invisible storm comes out of nowhere because of the enemy. The boat is full of water. Now, what happens normally if a boat is full of water? The boat is full of water and not sinking. Why? Jesus already spoke the word. We're going to the other side. So whether it has to change all the laws of physics, Jesus said something's got to work. And he, Jesus, was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. Knocked out. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? So there's a storm going on. The boat is full of water. Jesus is either on a higher surface or he's floating on a pillow. Not worried about a thing. So they run, grab Jesus and shake him. Hey, how are you sleeping, teacher? Don't you care about us? Affliction or pressure will cause you to doubt God's care for you. If you let it. Don't you care about us? Don't you care we're about to die? Canceling out the word that Jesus said, speaking words of fear and doubt and unbelief. And Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. It's also translated, Calm down. How could he say that to the wind and the waves? Because he knew they weren't created to destroy. He commanded them to go back to the original intent when God made it in the garden. He used his authority. He knew what belonged to him. You must know what belongs to you and you must use your authority. There are times where the enemy may stir up stuff in your life, but you must know how to speak to the spirit behind it. Hey, cut that out in the name of Jesus. I command my circumstances, calm down now. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is that you have no faith? A lot of times we read it, we are faith people, so we go straight to the word fearful. Yeah, they shouldn't have had fear, because God said something. They had no faith. God, he just preached the word on faith. The faith should have been in the heart. They should have used their faith. He fully expected them to do something about it. That's all true. But let's make our emphasis on another word just for this time. Why are you so fearful? I just taught you about affliction and pressure in the storms of life. Why are you full of fear? Why do you not have faith? What did they doubt? They doubted what Jesus said. Why were they full of fear? They didn't think what Jesus said was coming to pass. It reminds me of Matthew 14, 26 through 33. Jesus is walking on the water. The disciples see him. They cry out, it's a spirit. 
or it's a ghost. These are some superstitious people. But straightway, Jesus spake unto them, saying, be of good cheer, which means be of good courage. It's like what he told Joshua, be strong and be courageous. Now, how many of you know, any times that God says, be anything, it happens? Remember, way back when, the very beginning, light be. That's what light, let there be light is translated. Light be, waters be, sky be, it happens. So when he told Joshua, be of good courage, be strong, that is a command. And with his faith, he had to take strength. With his faith, he had to take courage. Be of good cheer. Take your cheer. That's the word translated also, be strong. Take your strength by faith. It is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come on the water. Why Peter asked this question, we don't know. Peter's trying to figure out for real if it's Jesus. Remember, there's only two options. It's a ghost or a demon, or it's Jesus. When's the last time demons said, hey, don't be afraid? It's a ghost or it's Jesus. But Peter is doubting if it's really Jesus. And so he tested them, hey, if it's you, command me to walk on the water. And Jesus said, well, come on out. Peter could have asked any question. He says, well, Jesus, how many fingers am I holding behind my back? What's the secret password? He could have asked many different things. But for whatever reason, he asked this question. Jesus calls him out. Peter begins to walk on the water, just like Jesus. He's walking. He's walking. He takes his eyes off of Jesus. Now looking at Jesus, the author and finisher, the developer of our faith. He starts looking at the wind and the waves. Now the wind and the waves were going that whole time. They had never stopped. It was going the whole time. But he got distracted. Started looking at circumstances. And it said he began to sink. Did not say he sunk. He began to sink. And he began to cry out. But either Jesus was already close to him or Jesus translated and grabbed him, pulled him up, and walked him back to the boat. Now you might think, well, at least Peter tried. At least he got out of the water. Jesus doesn't allow him even time to get dry. He's still soaking wet for whatever part he did sink. Jesus gets in his face and says, O thou of little faith, why did you doubt? Talking to Peter, why did you doubt? What did he doubt? His ability to walk on the water? No. He doubted if it was Jesus. He doubted who Jesus was to him. If you let pressure cause you to doubt if God is really good, you will sink. If you allow pressure to question what you believe in the word of God, make you go religious, start saying crazy stuff, well, God will only, cannot, will only put, you, put on you what you can bear. Well, God is in control. Well, I guess a little sickness ever hurt nobody. Start talking crazy, you will sink. Don't doubt who Jesus is. Now, your head could go with all these doubts. But remember, Mark 11, 23, 24, says, believe in your heart. It said nothing about your head. You keep the word in your heart. You believe who Jesus is and who he is to you. You can't sink. 
Doesn't matter if your boat is full of water. You can't sink. You may be walking on the impossible right now, but you can't sink. If you stick with him, he will stick with you. He's not brought you this far to leave you. You've come this far by faith. He hadn't failed you then, he's not going to fail you now. You got to live by faith. You got to trust who Jesus is to you. Another translation says, Peter, dude, why was your trust so small? Is your trust in your education? Is your trust in the government? Is your trust in your family? Is your trust in your own ability? Or do you trust in the Lord? Do you have faith in God? This is how you respond to affliction and persecution. Remember that old hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Look at Jesus. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. I know it took a little longer today, but I want you to live victoriously in life. I want you to walk in victory every single day, not just on Sunday. I want you to beat Satan at every turn. And if you employ these strategies, you will always win. Every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.